Welcome back, everyone. I am Cass Piancy, and I'm joined, as usual, by my partner in crime, Mr. Bennett Tomlin. How are you today? I'm doing well, Cass. How are you? I'm doing great. We're joined by a very special guest today, uh, someone who I've looked up to for a long time and somebody who kind of helped not lead me astray when I first arrived in the cryptocurrency industry. Mr. Jackson Palmer, co-founder of Doge, host of the Griftonomics podcast. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure to have you. I guess we should start with Doge because that's like kind of <laughs> your, your your claim to fame in this industry. Um, right. So so let's start with Doge. How did that happen? It started as a joke. I it was around 2013. Um, I was familiar with with cryptocurrency and stuff like that. I'd been in technology for a long while. Um, never taken really any interest until uh, Litecoin and the kind of altcoin boom in 2013. I thought it was just hilarious that there was like something coin popping up every every couple of days. I actually posted to Tumblr <laughs> that I was a tum- big Tumblr user at the time that I, uh, I'm going to invest in Dogecoin. It's the next big thing as kind of a joke. It cross-posted to Twitter um, from my Tumblr and then uh, it kind of became a viral thing. So as I used to do at the time, I bought the domain, put up a fake page that was like, you know, a dog on a coin that said it's a parody cryptocurrency. And then the rest is uh, is, is kind of history. <laughs> Can you give us a little bit more context on how you initially got introduced to cryptocurrency and why you thought it was a topic deserving of parody? The first time I ever encountered cryptocurrency was sometime between 2009 and 2012. I remember, you know, I was living in Australia at the time. I used to check Hacker News every day, as people in tech do. Um, and so Bitcoin was posted, um, tried to run it on my local machine. It just didn't work because I obviously didn't have enough hash power on my, on my laptop, but also I couldn't even sync the blockchain because the internet in Australia was so bad at the time. So I was like, well, this is stupid. And so I forgot about it for a few years. That's so weird because S- Satoshi's Australian, right? <laughs> 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 apparently, apparently. Oh, okay. Um, Every Australian kind of cringes every second <laughs> that, that guy has mentioned. Um, the funny thing about Craig Wright is that I think a lot of people that are outside of Australia hear people with Australian accents and think, oh, maybe they're a little bit sophisticated or they're trustworthy or something. But every Australian I know could just see that guy on the street and hear him speak for a second and be like, that guy's a bullshit artist. Like Every Australian, like their bullshit meter goes off like the second they even just see the guy. So it's kind of funny that the rest of the, anybody got kind of wrapped up in his whole web. But as I was saying, in around 20, 2013, there was this kind of Litecoin run up. And a lot of people in tech, I think, got caught up in that because they were making some money. And I just thought, whoa, this technology that I had tried and I thought this is really inefficient, like this is kind of dumb, but I'm like, give it another trying chance. So I was like, I should get some Bitcoin. I should get some Litecoin. Let me see how I can do that. And it was so hard to acquire cryptocurrency. I had to buy Linden Bucks, which are like a second life cryptocurrency using PayPal. And then I don't know what the exchange was, but I traded that into Feathercoin from Linden Bucks. <laughs> like that was my first. And I'm like, this is so stupid. What, <laughs> like, what an inefficient system this is. And so it was really that that led me to like, this is a joke, right? Like I, I have to make fun of this. And so I was also into very much into memes at the time. I used to run a website was kind of a precursor to like Giphy and stuff like that called GIF base. So I had a history in memes and so kind of put two and two together. Just so everyone's 
keen as to where I'm coming from, in case you're only listening for the first time now. I started getting interested in, you know, Bitcoin and stuff in 2017. And you would do a, tell me if I'm getting this wrong or right, but I think you would do a weekly, like, roundup that you would host on, I think, on YouTube. I remember always going and I would watch, like, every single one because I thought you were very fair very reasonable. Mm. Whether or not you liked it or not, it didn't matter. You were trying to be as fair as possible. And then I remember going and checking your profile and you were gone. And <laughs> and you had vanished from the cryptocurrency space. There were people who were saying like, he's obviously bitter about how much Doge is worth now. He didn't make any money. Mm. So can you clarify, like what, what got you to be like, I got to go? <laughs> you know, it's actually happened twice. It's just the second time was a little bit more um, extreme. What happened after I made the joke was that uh, another person reached out to me, um, co my co-founder, Billy. He had been more into kind of blockchain development stuff before. And he's like, hey, I'll make it a real thing. And that's how Dogecoin became a real thing. In the early days, I'd also happened to coincide when I was moving from Australia to San Francisco. So I was like the first week off the plane, hadn't even rented a place yet, but I was speaking next to Charlie Lee at Coin Summit in San Francisco. <laughs> like I was like dunked like head first into the culture, if you want to call it that. <laughs> it became really apparent to like at first I was like, oh, this is exciting. There's lots of people, they want to talk to me. Like it's it, it's cool. But after about six months of being into it, in combination with there being obvious scammers got involved in Dogecoin, which happens with any cryptocurrency, but also I just became very aware of the kind of people that I was being surrounded by. I was like, whoa, like this is not, this doesn't align with me. Um, and so I kind of backed away, gave all the control of, of the GitHub repo and everything off to some other community members. You know, there's a Coindesk article, I think, from like 2015, where it's like Jackson Palmer quits crypto, cites it as toxic libertarian bros or something like that, right? Um, and so that was the first time I kind of left. And I didn't have a lot to do with cryptocurrency. I found the article, by the way, Dogecoin founder exits crypto community citing toxic culture. This is from April 23rd, 2015, written by Pete Rizzo over at Coindesk. Back when Pete was just, I, I think, a contributing, uh, he was a, one of the, the lower-rung journalists. Right. Yeah, I remember that. Updated in September of 2021, so I guess they've been keeping an eye on, <laughs> <Okay>. on you. <laughs> um, but anyway, so I, I was kind of, I'd wipe my hands of it, I was off doing other things. And then in 2017, I was in an Uber here in San Francisco, the Uber driver is like, this Ethereum thing, I think I should probably get in on it. And I'm like, oh no, it's happening again. <laughs> so that's when I started the YouTube channel you were referring to. And I used to do like a weekly video where I'd go into the details of a concept. You know, I did an NFT video in like 2018 or something, like back before anybody knew what an NFT was. And then I did a weekly um, thing called Crypto Weekly, which was kind of a roundup, like you said. So I did that for couple of years. It's funny because a lot of people like to assume like, oh, the guy's just salty. He doesn't actually know anything about crypto. Like mm -mm. I was in it. Like I was mm -mm. sitting around having beers with like the, the Cosmos guys talking about that. Like I was sitting around with Jed talking about Stellar. Like I was like in amongst it. And that's why I was able to make that YouTube channel because I like was having conversations about like consensus and, and, and blockchain storage and Actually, what drove me at the end to delete my entire online presence was um, impersonators. So um, because I was a 
figure in the blockchain space, I used to almost weekly uh, have like YouTube accounts that would take my footage and replay it and say, Jackson Palmer is live, send Bitcoin or Dogecoin to this address and they'll double it back, right? Mm -hmm. Used to happen on Twitter, used to happen everywhere. And it was so bad that I used to have people contact me. They'd email me and be like, hey, I sent you the $5,000, can I get it back? And I'm like, oh no. <laughs> like, you know, even though it's not my fault, these people are losing money because of, of mm. my face being used. And I was like, this is, this is terrible. So if there's nobody to impersonate, then I can't be impersonated. So I literally nuked my entire online presence and didn't really have a Twitter or anything, any social media until... Uh, probably about a year ago. So what motivated you to come back and to now start this new podcast and to start <laughs> commenting on this space again? The first time I was inactive, crypto had gone through a lull and then crypto had another lull after like the ICO bubble kind of popped. And then in 2021, we all know what happened with like NFTs and DeFi and all of this kind of stuff. Eventually what ended up happening was I started getting reached out to by a lot of journalists when... Um, Mr. Musk started getting involved in like pumping up Dogecoin. Uh, and I was like, uh, like I have to say something. So I came back online. I finally got access to my Twitter account and I posted very quickly, just was only live for a minute. I was like, Elon Musk isn't always will be a, a self-absorbed grifter, I believe is what I said. Um, and then I deleted it and kind of just went off into, I was like, that's my public statement. I'm gone. And then I thought, you know, this is, these bubbles pop. So I, I won't get back involved for, for very long. But after a while, like the bubble wasn't popping. I was like, I'm going to do a podcast about this. So I started writing a script for a podcast called Griftonomics. This was in like early 2021. And I was like, I'll do this. It'll go live. It'll be great. And then what happened around the time, I think uh, there was that Save the Kids scandal that happened and Coffeezilla exposed oh, yeah. them, uh, like the FaZe Clan mm -hmm. and all of that. Yeah. Who are all now fine. I, like everyone <laughs> forgot about it and everyone's forgotten about that and moved right along. But yeah, sorry, Didn't go one ahead. Of them right. kicked off, Isn't yeah. that crazy? Didn't one of them yeah. get kicked off the team? I thought one of them at least yeah. had some kind of One or two of them got kicked got off the it. team, but they went on... They went on to like yeah, scam again and they made all their money playing, and yeah. they, yeah. Well, anyway, because of the video he published, I think he actually got sued uh, by FaZe Clan or by the people involved. And I was like, why do I want to do a podcast where I'm going to like, like a lot of pe powerful people with a lot of money, like, why am I doing this again? And so what I did push. was I took the script to that, to that first episode <laughs> And I published it live as the Twitter thread, which is now my like pinned Twitter thread. It got pretty big at the time. And it was really just a takedown of crypto. And I was like, I'll just post that and I won't mention anybody's names and I'll be done with it. And so I posted that. It was pretty big for about a year. Um, I just, again, was offline doing stuff like making music and things like that. And I was like, the bubble's got to pop. And then it didn't. <laughs> and I was like, you know what? Now I'm ready <laughs> to, to take the emotional and mental battering uh, that will inevitably come at me. And so that, that's really it. I think I'm just a sucker for having idiots yell at me online. <laughs> Masochist. Can't, okay, can't I sympathize. See. <laughs> I, I don't understand that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what was it like for you to see this cryptocurrency you started as a joke that was meant to parody and satirize and point out a subset of the issues in like the crypto culture and in the marketing of these cryptocurrencies. 
What's it feel like to see it listed on Robinhood and marketed to retail traders years later and to see things like that going where it's now more prominent than it ever was, but still serves, but is still fundamentally very similar technically to what it was when it was launched as a joke years and years ago? Yeah, it's uh, it's surreal. I realize it's a lot earlier than a lot of other people have. Like, I think that Bored Apes, for instance, are just an extension of the same kind of lunacy, which 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 has built itself around something like Dogecoin. That's actually another coin, by the way, lunacy, just so we all know. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I feel like it, it, it's really just indicative of this like broader problem where people are attaching value to something that has no value that is funny i guess that's the the thing is like the joke feels a little old now um <laughs> you know it's a bit overdone um like i was done with the joke after a few months and so the thing i always have to remind myself about cryptocurrencies is that the demand isn't actually like organic the demand is entirely artificial um in that it is um produced through you know celebrity sponsorships or false advertising or you know fake trading volume which then gets people in the doors you were interested and excited about memes which i think mm-hmm. you know everyone still widely uses memes to get their message across but sure. a- as you just said like usually a meme dies within a few weeks months at, right. at the most like you don't see memes years and years later getting used very mm-hmm. often generally is it the financialization of this that gives Dogecoin this kind of like staying power or like what do you think it is that has kept this going for so long? I usually don't comment on Dogecoin because like everybody's like, why don't you just leave it alone, dude? Like you're not involved anymore. Why do you have, have to have an opinion about it? You know, kind of thing. But I actually don't know if it did have a lot of staying power. It was like on a steady decline until like 2021, it hadn't organically picked back up. Like the Reddit was like a ghost town. It was basically dead to the point that, you know, around in 2020 or 2021, when it started to tick back up, like I had to remind a few people, I'm like, there hasn't been a release on the Git repo in like two and a half, three years. One, that's a sign that it's not really being actively developed. But two, like I worry about the security, <laughs> the security uh, enhancements that haven't been pulled in from the upstream Bitcoin uh, branch, but whatever. And they've obviously gone in now that it's all famous and everything that dev team have fixed that. But I think that that's what I was getting back to about how everything is artificial. I firmly believe that if a certain you know billionaire wouldn't have tweeted about it, that it probably wouldn't, it probably would have faded into non-existence. It's pretty interesting. I'm looking at the Google Trends page for uh, Dogecoin for the past Mm. five years. And uh, man, you're absolutely right. It has two big pop-offs pretty much centered around when Elon was talking about it a bunch. And it has has gone way down way fast. And I think that's right. You're right. Like that's how memes work. So no one should be surprised by this. Of course, that's what happened. Do you have a, a hypothesis of why Elon started talking about it <laughs> Bennett's like Jackson's gonna be very careful in what he says <laughs> <laughs> um, I you know and I don't like starting fights like gosh the last time I, I talked to a journalist about Elon Musk it was like my my oh my god I had to like just walk away from my computer for two days neither Bennett nor I are big fans of Elon Musk if he wants to come on the podcast for whatever silly silly reason um 
I would love to ask him a bunch of <laughs> a bunch of not fun questions. Maybe it's just like he, you know, in his day to day, like thought something was funny, and that's why he won't shut up about it. Like I think he 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 is shown that he's a person that does a lot of things on a whim. So maybe that's it. I do think, and you know, I'm not alleging anything. I, I I'm just saying an observation. I think it is interesting that the person who manages Elon Musk's family office is an advisor to the Dogecoin Foundation. I think that's interesting. I, I don't know. I don't, I'm not inside the head of the guy, so I can't speak to his. <laughs> <laughs> Jared Burchell, Elon Musk's fixer, is listed on the Dogecoin Foundation board. Jared claims he's in no way affiliated with Dogecoin Foundation and has no idea why his name is there, but it's certainly fascinating. And it's like especially fascinating when you consider that the criticisms that Elon leveled at Bitcoin surrounding like its energy usage and things like that apply equally the same to Dogecoin, which at the same time he was promoting. I think it's certainly plausible that like Dogecoin drew his attention because, oh, look, it's the Doge meme, but in crypto and crypto bros love Elon. And that was the extent of his critical thinking on the issue. That is absolutely plausible. But. That's always been a connection that smelled real fishy to me with Jared being listed there. Elon is, is one of those people that likes to build uh, a cult of very um, faithful followers around him. And I think that he does that through a way, as a lot of kind of cult leaders, people that ha kind of have these uh, cult of personality do, is they like to soften that in a way that seems playful, in a way that seems fun by, you know, I'm releasing a flamethrower, <laughs> right? Yeah. Going really hardline into something like a more serious cryptocurrency, if you want to call Bitcoin more serious, I think is probably a little bit harsher than being able to say, it's just about the memes. It's just about the memes and then building kind of a loyal following around that. And so I think that probably also has something to do with it is that it's a lot easier to swallow than going to Bitcoin and all of a sudden like you're, you're interfacing with people who are like, I only eat raw meat and, and read the Bible. It's the only book I read. Like that's the kind of like Bitcoin personality these days. And my calendar is base 16. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. So that, that's a dig at a very specific Bitcoiner that none of our audience are going to get. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So something that is very interesting to me is that I've gone in and met with two miners, two cryptocurrency miners mm. in, in my life. One was in China mm. and one was in America. Can one of you explain how, I, I believe it's Litecoin and Dogecoin have now, there's like merged mining, right? Can one of you explain what, how that works and what it means? There's a technology called Auxiliary Proof of Work or AuxPow. It was something that was introduced, um, otherwise known as merged mining. Back in the day, Dogecoin had this problem where it got through its block rewards really quickly. So it kind of mined out its initial 100 billion really quickly. It was becoming not really profitable to, to mine Dogecoin alone. A lot of people were freaking out, like, what do we do to, to maintain the kind of future existence of, of, of the security of the, of the network? And Charlie Lee actually came into the Dogecoin community. I think it's all probably documented on Reddit somewhere. Um, and was like, I think you should merge mine with Litecoin. You should implement AuxPow and this will save. You know, he, he had, I think he had a bit of a savior complex at the time. Mm -hmm. He was like, I'll, I'll, we'll come in and Litecoin will save it. And the reason it's able to do that is that Litecoin and Dogecoin are both on the same script hashing function, essentially. What happens then 
is that these miners that have these mining operations, you know, they generate random numbers every so many minutes. Instead of submitting that to just one network, they submit it to two and they stand a chance to get the reward for both of them, right? So like, why wouldn't you? You're doing the work anyway. There's actually other script coins now that are all within this kind of big thing. Mm. Although it's funny that now I think Dogecoin is probably the, the leading reason that people are mining rather than, uh, than like, I'm not sure, I haven't looked at the profitability. But. Well, my point was going to be that when I was in China, they were mining Bitcoin and Litecoin. This was in mm. tw- 2018. They were mining Bitcoin and Litecoin. I was surprised that they had Litecoin miners, but they were all about it. And then when I went to the American, it was a very small, just like a, an individual, but he was mining Litecoin, Dogecoin. He was telling me that he would win these, mostly Dogecoin, I think, but then he would instantly sell that Dogecoin out into Litecoin and then would sell that Litecoin into USDC or Tether or whatever, and then would sell that into actual US dollars. So this is the, it's similar to the way you said it, you started, which is like, okay, I'll use my PayPal to buy the <laughs> Linden cash to then buy the Feather coin. And this is like, okay, I'll mine the Dogecoin sell that into Litecoin, sell the Litecoin into a stable coin, and then I'll exit to fiat. It's just like incredible to me, like so insane. But I guess what I'm saying is that Litecoin and Dogecoin are like, people are genuinely mining these cryptocurrencies still. It's kind of like, I don't know, it, it's hard for me to imagine. I can only imagine for you how you're how you feel about that, you know? I've met a lot of miners in my life and I, I think they're actually incredibly simple people. <laughs> not, <laughs> not, not, not intellectually, but I, I think that their motives are very simple to read. You know, can I get electricity at a cost that is lower than what I'm going to reap by burning that electric? Like that's, that's all they do day, day in, day out. And so while there are probably a very tiny slither of people with probably negligible hash rate who like mine Dogecoin or something because they just think it's cool or they do it for giggles, I think the majority of all mining hash power is, is people that are driven by one thing, which is, which is profit. Probably the number one problem I have in the cryptocurrency industry is profit maximalist, but yeah, like maybe you're right. Ultimately, that's the only thing keeping the entire industry going is profit maximalism, right? It's not like gold where you're mining it and maybe you can use it for electronics or something. This is strictly a profit play. And if there's no profit, they're not going to do it anymore. Oh, yeah. The, the whole industry is that. Everything about it is profit maximalism. Any kind of dressing around that is, is simply a veil to obfuscate the fact that it is just profit maximalism. Like the, I actually saw a really interesting thing this morning on CoinMarketCap. The video today was um, this guy and he's like, are you sick of hodling your NFTs? Why don't you lend them out and get yield on NFTs? And I'm like, uh, <laughs> that completely blows up the whole like, well, we're helping starving artists or it's really about having ownership. No, it's not. No, it's not. It's, it's, it's about making a buck. There was a startup recently that announced their intention to offer buy now, pay later services for NFTs so that people Perfect. can purchase an NFT in four installments over the next several months. And of course, I'm pretty sure A16Z was in the funding round, you know, just funding call options on NFTs with a zero cost basis. Just brilliant work all around by everyone involved. 
I was about to bring up A16Z. Like, I was about to bring them up, and I was, like, bordering on not doing it. Because I I, I heard some NPR show this past week, and they had uh, Ariana Simpson, who's, like, a... Yeah, she's an A16Z partner, and she... Man, it bothers me and it boggles my mind that these people are saying the things they're saying out loud publicly to all of us, where she's like, you know, I work at A16Z. I'm around these these billionaires and stuff. Trust me, there's so much value in, in cryptocurrency. And I was like, that's your pitch? Your pitch is, trust me, I'm, a, I'm around rich people. Like, this is going to be great. And then they were, like, interviewing a dude who's like, oh, I'm going to NFT rockets. Like... What the fuck are you talking about, dude? Model of rocket NFTs? What are, what are we what are we doing? What is this? What are, at least like Bitcoin? Whether I agree with it or not, it seems like there's like a a goal or there was. I don't know if there is anymore. The whole thing is a shit show now. But I think <laughs> at the, at the very no. beginning, whether I whether I agreed with Bitcoin or not, and yeah. and why I still to this day like love to think that a gentleman named Paul Larue was involved with it is because it was like an ANCAP wet dream digital currency thing and it's like okay this I can understand I can at least wrap my head around it when they're like dude I'm so rich I'm around rich people there's so much use case in NFTs I'm like Mm. Yeah, yeah, I agree to a certain extent. By the way, that buy now, pay later thing, I, I can't wait to see the, the daisy chaining that happens with <laughs> buy now, pay later, then I'm going to loan out that NFT to get yield to pay off the... Beautiful. Beautiful. Um, <laughs> not advising anybody to do that, but I just think it's a, a, a shit show. But anyway, um, a lot of people say, well, is crypto inherently a scam? And I think that it is and it isn't. Bitcoin really opened the doors in terms of providing a technology which allows scammers, snake oil, you know, salesmen, every type of fraud to exist in a way more efficient way, right? Like cryptocurrency is like a big tent enabler of all types of scams that have existed for the last, you know, for centuries. But it provides an unregulated, more efficient way of, of exploiting and extracting cash. I think the difference is that historically it was VCs that were losing money on things like Juicero versus now retail investors are the ones that are being suckered. I think that's a big difference. Crypto just enables them to extract that way quicker Back in the day, we all know that nine out of 10 of startups that they invest in are going to fail. And the one in 10 that actually wins that you put money into, you've got to hope that they can either be acquired or they can IPO. Long process. We're talking about like five to 10 years before you see any money back on, on that investment. Crypto, you can get in, or A16Z can get in. They can get very low rate tokens or they can get insider uh, access to tokens before anybody else can. Then a public sale happens. They're already up. They can liquidate very quickly. They can get a 10 out of 10 success rate and reap the benefits in under a year. A lot better than traditional startup investing, right? Yeah. So like that's the game that's at play here. And crypto has enabled them to do that because there's none of the oversight. There's none of the regulatory. There's ability to basically wire money around willy-nilly without any any oversight. Yeah, we, we did talk about that when I came on your show a few weeks ago. And we talked about it recently when we were uh, when we had Molly White on this show is that 
ah. that time to liquidity, getting that opportunity so fast and getting the tokens at such a big discount means A16Z's most like optimal way to make money is just to like take a money gun, blast it at everyone and then sell as soon as they can. And so that's what they do. And so they invest in the dumbest ideas with no due diligence because that's going to make them a lot of money. And it, it it's and bad. that's the thing, right? Like a lot of people are like, these VCs must be idiots. No, they, they know exactly what they're doing. Right. <laughs> they're they're making a shit ton of money. <laughs> they might also be idiots. I'm not discounting the possibility that they're also <laughs> idiots. <laughs> but yes, they do know that this is how they can make money. Well, and I think it's either people are saying like, oh, they're idiots. Or they're saying like, see, these geniuses are getting involved. And either way, I go like, wait, you think Peter Thiel and A16Z and you think all of these venture capitalists are looking out for your best interest? You think Chamath is going out there and trying to tell you about the best cryptocurrency? Really? So you think, like, man, no way. They want to make their money from you. They're going to steal your money. They're going to steal it. I'm, and I'm using that word because I mean it. It's not like they're not, like, asking for it graciously. Your money's fucking gone when they get involved. You forget, Cass. It's all just an experiment. Uh, right, you know. right. <laughs> it's, an, it's art or it's an experiment or whatever word we need to use that does not get us in trouble. That's what this is. It's not utility. Let's never say that word. Don't ever say it's utility. Uh, yeah, or security. <laughs> never mention the, the S word. Every time it feels like, oh my God, this is so much greed. I've never experienced the levels of greed that I'm seeing right now. It's almost like it amplifies the worst aspects of finance they're speed running the past thousand years of finance is what they're doing. They are, yeah. I, I think that it's also the perfect storm of you have this enabling technology. I think that we're also living in a world where uh, what I like to describe as kind of a moral nihilism is taking hold. You know, you, you have the isolation of the pandemic. You just generally have people caring less about one another. At the same time, you have this technology that if you can navigate it properly, you can make money off the back of some other sucker that you bring in and you combine that with that moral nihilism and everybody is basically scamming one another. It's peer-to-peer -peer scamming. I like peer-to-peer -peer scamming. That's a good phrase. <laughs> I mean, I hope you don't like it, but... No, no, I, I don't like it as a concept. I like it as like a piece of rhetoric, as a piece of prose, as like a phrase, not as like a thing that should be happening in society. All these yeah, you things said the, were You said the quiet part out loud. You said the quiet yeah, part out loud. Well, I mean, if, if Chamath can go on the all-in podcast and say, yeah, of course I'm selling my unvested Solana tokens. Why wouldn't I? They're worth so much right now and they're not going to be later. Fuck? If he can do that, then I, I can say that that's a, that's a cool couple words. <laughs> Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to get screen capped with that face for sure yeah, in this whatever. episode. No doubt about it. <laughs> Bennett, any other questions that you specifically want to get out there right now? No, no, I'm pretty disappointed with reality right now. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so par for the course. Um, Let's get a, a shill in for Griftonomics again. Make sure that everybody knows to tune into uh, Jackson's podcast. But Jackson, what what is a topic that you want to kind of end this on? We are living in a time that is fairly unprecedented in terms of people's access to technology. And there are good things that can come of that. And there are bad things that can come of that. If you'd asked the people 20 years ago when they were creating peer-to-peer -peer protocols, hey, do you envision that this will be used 
in the future to extort other people of money. Like peer-to-peer scamming would be a thing. They'd be like, what are you talking about? Like, no, we just want to send funny images and, and text to one another, you know, uh, via peer-to-peer. Or we just want to we just want to pirate some movies, right, in the case of BitTorrent. <laughs> they would never have thought this, right? In hindsight, you can say, well, of course, it's going to be used, right? Like any, anything that can be used will be used. For that reason, people have to just apply a little bit more of a critique to, to any kind of technology that they get involved with or any technology they see kind of being promoted to them by somebody else. And the problem with that I see today, and I hear this from like probably nine out of 10 people I speak to, they're like, well, I try to get into cryptocurrency or I try to understand it, but I just felt stupid. Like that's the thing that a lot of people say to me is like, I try to understand Bitcoin, but like I left the Wikipedia page or I left this explanation just feeling like I'm the problem. Like I don't understand it. And maybe I'm just stupid and these people are smarter than me. So it is actually good. Right. Like, which is a strange roundabout way of like determining something's good. But I actually think that a lot of these projects do that on purpose. They make it complex to make people feel stupid. The reality is, and what I want everybody to know is that these technologies are actually very quite simple. They're not complex. The marketing is complex on purpose to confuse you into putting your money in. Find somebody in in your life, if you can't digest it yourself, who is involved in software or, or who has a bit more of a technical background and ask them to explain it to you in simple terms, I think is the thing I would say before just assuming that, well, I don't understand space travel. I don't understand rockets either, but right. that doesn't mean rockets are bad. You know, you can't apply the same logic to mm. financial instruments. I would just say, you know, have that skepticism. I think the other thing though, and this is actually more of a challenge that I face every day, and it's part of why I started Griftonomics as a podcast, is that all of this is predicated on the fact that people care about one another, right? We only get away from this if society veers more towards caring about their fellow individuals and caring that another person isn't losing money while you're making money. The tragic thing and the the doomer in me unfortunately sees us going in the opposite direction (laughs) to a point where people who are espousing these kind of like anarcho-capitalism, which is a a paradox, but like these very right libertarian viewpoints, all they care about at the end of the day is their freedom to extract money from somebody else. I hope that people can like also, in addition to questioning the technology, question the belief systems they may be sold. Because I think, especially with some of the upcoming elections in America, I think we're going to increasingly see this kind of individualistic kind of put yourself above all others kind of mentality that is floating around. I'm so glad you brought this up as your last topic. This means we've discussed this with Jim Chanos, Molly White, and you. I'm mostly cynical and pessimistic when it comes to cryptocurrency, but I think when it comes to financial education, I'm actually an optimist. So I think you're absolutely right. Is education is hopefully the answer to this. I think scaling that is really, really hard. My bigger concern about that is that I worry that the financial education that people are going to start receiving or are already beginning to receive is one that scams aren't necessarily a bad thing. I will never forget the Coinbase article. Like 
This token is a Ponzi scheme, but is that a bad thing? Yeah, Coindesk, I was about to bring that up. So are the dollars in your pocket. So the education angle only works if the education you're giving people is that it's in your financial best interest to think about society as a whole. If the financial education you're giving people is hustle and grind to make as much money for yourself, screw everybody else, then it's not a good thing. (laughs) And I I worry if you go and you look at a lot of like the way that financial TikTok, it's something I want to do a future podcast episode on, it is veering in this direction of, yeah, we'll give you a financial education, but it's about how to hustle other people out of money. (laughs) The fact that you had people who are in respectable positions in the crypto industry saying, have fun, stay poor to people, that that became almost a mantra of of the crypto industry. I worry that, yeah, I think education is the answer, but is it the right education? Yeah, and we see it. I like it's more than just that article. There was another person who had posted something about like, are Ponzi's actually the future of finance? And you're just like, do you not understand when you're like at the top of a Ponzi how that feels? Do you not get that you're like, this is definitely the future. I'm making so much money. Yeah, it's all gonna be gone in a second. Trust me. Like this is not the future of finance. You hope though that when moments like this happen, it gives people like us an opportunity to be a little bit louder and a little bit more noticed because we're not saying the things that people like, you know, Ron Neuer and these other people. <laughs> Buying Luna now is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity or whatever. Um, so you I just, don't know. You just love name-dropping people to, so that you <laughs> get called I, out on Twitter. I just uh, he, He's been particularly bothering me lately, so I, I feel it's necessary to name him right now. Um, but, yeah, uh, it's probably not a good idea. <laughs> um but yeah, thank you for joining us, Jackson. This has been a great Always. episode, um, and I look forward to chatting with you again sometime. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Awesome. Hey, everyone. So I know that I blew up the Crypto Critics Corner reserves on uh, Luna and Celsius and CoinFlex and Voyager and 3AC. Big mistake on my part, but obviously uh, we're gonna make it. We're gonna make it all back in one trade. I've put everything into Dogecoin. So Elon, if you're listening, you know, pump it. Let's do this. We got this together. Um, also, like, subscribe, uh, invest. Wait, I shouldn't say invest. Don't don't invest. This isn't an investment. There's no investments. This is just a. It's a podcast. Um, anyway, thanks for listening, everybody. Talk to you soon.